Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Well, if you're like me, you are wondering what in the world went down in that post office parking lot in Farmington yesterday afternoon at about 3.30 where a driver um, wound up getting shot. Uh, we got five police officers in Farmington with Farmington PD now on administrative leave as a standard operating procedure when an officer-involved incident happens. And we're going to take a deep dive into what we know, what we don't know, and how long these officers may be on leave, Dave. Yeah, three miles from my house. Is that what it was? Three miles. Yes, uh, this is a community that we're very close with. Uh, Farmington uh, does not see this kind of thing happen very often. Very quiet town. It's 908. It's time for the launch. Sequence engaged. And here are three things that Debbie wants you to know. Countdown three. We're going to head to southern Utah where teachers are bristling after an email was sent from the district reminding them that if you're stressed out at work, you cannot take a, air quote, mental health day. At least you can't use the mental health day excuse to use up one of your sick days. Mental health is an issue for educators. We are tremendously burdened with expectations. So the bigger question is, what can we do to improve both for students and for the educators who are serving? And we'll hear more from that second grade teacher a little later in the show. But we've made a ton of progress in the area of mental health at the workplace. But sometimes does it feel like we're just finding excuses not to go to work? Like you've got sick days, vacation days, mental health days, company holidays, state and federal holidays, observed cultural days. Like if I'm an employer, at some point I'm like, are we just going to have somebody show up, you know, maybe just to work, you know, maybe. Countdown to 10 o'clock hour. We're going to get KSL Television's investigative reporter Matt Gephardt on the show with us uh, because I, I actually hadn't really thought of this. But when you die, your debt, specifically your medical debt does not necessarily die with you. At least it does in some states, but not in Utah. So imagine losing your spouse and then getting slapped with a massive medical bill. I was trying to grieve the loss of my husband. And it's so difficult to grieve when you have the the guillotine of death, of debt, just hanging over you. It's such a... I don't know what the right answer is, though. Because we're all going to end up in the hospital and we're all going to die. So do you just wipe that away? I don't know if that's fair to the, the hospitals, the nurses, and the doctors that treat you at the end of your life. Launch countdown one. Our top story is we're pushing for more details this morning on what went down inside that blue sedan in the post office parking lot in the small community of Farmington. The story begins when a police officer makes a traffic stop, and it ends 
in the death of the driver. The chief of police speaking to the press yesterday. That's how we train, and I know my guys, and if they fired shots, I'm certain they were in fear of their life. Yeah, Farmington, about 24,000 people. Very small community. And you have one of these small police departments, a relatively small police department. Um, It's important to dive in and find out, is the training there? Are they prepared? Do they know what to do? And was this kind of force appropriate? Dave and Dijanovic. The launch. Commence. Dave and Dijanovic. Dave and Dijanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. If you watch KSL 5 Television's report on this, like I did, you see a video of the car, the sedan. And I counted, could be anywhere from seven to eight bullet holes in the passenger side, both the front and back windows. We had an officer uh, make a, the proverbial routine traffic stop. The purpose of the stop was the car didn't have a plate on it. And a short time after that, uh, the officer called out over the radio that shots have been fired. That's the chief of police of the Farmington Police Department. He now has five officers that have been placed per protocol on administrative leave. We don't know how long they'll be on administrative leave. But for perspective... That is 20% of their police force. Adam Small from KSL News Radio joins us this morning. Adam, uh, do we have any additional details that you were able to learn this morning about this shooting? Yeah, Dave, Debbie, this morning uh, we're really going off of the, the police's official statement. So they're saying that it, the, the whole how this escalated, there's still questions in the air for sure. But what police are saying is basically they pull over this car, they're saying that didn't have plates. They say officers at some point in this interaction with this driver who is now identified as 25-year-old Chase Allen. We now know the man's name who ended up dying at an area hospital after the shooting happened. They're saying that officers asked him to get out of the car. They're saying he refused. They said during an attempt to remove him from the vehicle, that's when shots were fired. The driver was injured. They rendered medical aid. So at some point in this interaction, they're saying that he was just being noncompliant and that he would not get out of the car. And at some point, officers felt they needed to, to use their guns. That's the, the information we're really learning this morning. Okay, but um, Adam, I want you to back up just a bit on this, because I, in reading um, the news stories and the press release, uh, listening to the chief of police's words from yesterday, I'm still not clear that we know for sure who fired the shots, only that the driver wouldn't get out of the car, according to police. And that there was some sort of an attempt to remove him and that shots were fired at that time. But I can't garner for sure. And maybe you have more information about this as to whether maybe the you know officer's gun was grabbed by the driver. The driver had a gun with him or was it the officer who discharged his firearm? All great questions, Debbie. Yeah. And unfortunately, at this point, it's, it's all um they, they don't specify whether the, the driver had a gun or if he reached or anything like that. All we know is that, and, and we don't even know for sure if all five of these officers on leave all discharged their weapons. All they say is that um, five officers are on leave and that, that, that they did fire shots or at least somebody fired shots. So that, there's still a lot of good questions that we are investigating and that need to be answered. Um, and also something I've been noticing, too, in the release from the police is that they don't refer to uh, the, the driver, Chase Allen, as a suspect in any way. They always refer to him as the driver of the vehicle. So there, there's a chance. I mean, we don't know, like, 
that yeah. necessarily mean like he may have not done anything wrong at all, but there's still a ton of a ton of questions that we need to answer. Do we know if the Farmington Police Department wears body cameras? Is that something standard? Do we know? Um, it's a little unclear. I mean, I have had a, maybe an interaction or two, and I do believe they do, but I mean, don't quote me, but I think yeah. it, it's pretty standard for most police yeah. officers nowadays to wear them, and it that'll be something we'll continue to look into as well. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll be asking those questions as well as the day progresses. Adam Small will let you jump off the line and continue digging for answers. Uh, straight ahead, we're going to get K- KSL legal analyst Greg Scordis to join our conversation. I, I just have a list of questions, as I know you do too, Dave, for Greg. Um, first of all, I mean, I want to get with Greg and see, you know, like in terms of the number of bullet holes that I'm seeing, is this unusual? Um, there looked like there's seven, perhaps as many as eight, just on the one passenger side, um, of the car. And then with 20% of the Farmington PD's workforce now on administration. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen. Straight of leave that leads them i mean my calculations what 20 officers yeah it's, exactly and what happens now yeah, when how long you're does so this understaffed go on? right yeah how long does this investigation go on and and do these police officers who are on administrative leave are they compelled to speak to investigators these are all great questions. David Dujanovic. David Dujanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. Dave, how big did you say uh, the population is in, uh, or large it is in Farmington? About 25,000 okay. people. So think of it this way. Farmington Police Department is down 20% of its police force this morning. They have five officers on administrative leave, potentially for for many, 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 many days ahead because of the shooting of a driver who was pulled over for not having a license plate, uh, the chief, after that deadly shooting. That's how we train, and I know my guys, and if they fired shots, I'm certain they were in fear of their life. Debbie, when you talk about losing 20% of the police force, how does that get made up? Yeah. Because you still have patrols, uh-huh. vacations, uh-huh. sick days, all sorts of things going on. You lose 20% of your staff. How long would you expect them back? Because if I'm Farmington, the the 25,000 people that are there, I'm, I'm scratching my head a little bit thinking, are is there going to be enough cops yeah. around my well, place? If they've, lost, if they've sent five home on administrative leave and that's 20% of Which their workforce. Which is standard, right? Yeah, administrative leave is standard, but let's do the math on this. The the five the, the the five who are gone and it's twenty percent. Does that mean they have twenty officers? Yeah, they have twenty left of the twenty five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So the question then is, like you said, where do they get their officers? They could reach out to the county sheriff and ask them to supply um, some resources to them uh, for backup. Uh, They could also cancel vacation time. Um, They could draw on their current officers to stay on overtime shifts to make sure that the residents of Farmington have the patrols that they need. It's not unusual to reach out to other police agencies for assistance, but how long can that go on if this investigation goes on and on and on? Greg Scordis, good morning. Good morning, you guys. I'm trying to remember the longest police officer-involved shooting investigation, which is very typical, right? I mean, the investigators come together. They, they enact a protocol where they then investigate whether the officer's use of force was um, was appropriate. appropriate. Justified. Thank justified, you, justified. Right. That's the word I'm looking for. And I think the longest one was more than a year, more than a year. It wasn't in Davis County, but it was in Salt Lake County. So what what are you thinking in terms of this case with five officers now on admin leave and a whole bunch of bullet holes and and a, and a dead a dead driver? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Davis County uh, typically will work on a, a little bit of a faster track than Salt Lake County for no particular reason. But I expect that Troy Rawlings, the Davis County attorney, is already uh, working on this case. And maybe he uh, can uh, finish his investigation, at least as it relates to one or two of the officers, because I, it looked like there were eight shots fired, and it's not clear whether those were fired by one, two, or five of the officers. Uh, so those that maybe hadn't fired may be cleared a little bit sooner, if that makes any sense, sure. and get that department back up to speed. Greg, walk us through uh, some of the reasoning behind the administrative leave and uh, how far that reaches. Yeah, that's a good question. So it's, it's really protocol. It's a protocol that's been adopted throughout the state. And it, 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 what it says is that when an officer is involved in a critical incident, use of force, and it doesn't necessarily even require a death, but when the officer draws a weapon and fires a weapon or uses other deadly force, they'll be placed on paid administrative leave during the investigation. And the reason for that is because the investigation needs to sort of go on in a vacuum. The officer can't be working and talking to other officers. So they want to sequester everybody, so to speak, so that they can conduct the investigation. And like Debbie said, these can take a long time. I mean, we've had them go for a year or longer, but the officers have to sit tight. And it's very frustrating for the officers. You think that, you know, they're home and they're getting paid for not working. But these officers uniformly will say, I wish I was back to work because it's frustrating not knowing what's going on. But it just it just makes the investigation more clean and and. It preserves the integrity of it. As I listened to the statements from the chief of police and I read the press release and looked at other you know, news reports about yesterday's incident, which, by the way, if you're just joining us, we're talking about an officer-involved incident. It happened in Farmington in the post office parking lot when an officer sees um, a car apparently without a license plate pulls the blue sedan over. That's how the story begins. How it ends is with the death of the driver. He was the only occupant in the vehicle. And as I look at the vehicle and I see seven to eight bullet holes, Greg, I, I just, I I don't know for sure who fired those shots. I It, it may very well have been the officer. 
It could have been the driver who got a hold of the officer's gun as the officer reaches in the car to to uh, help the driver exit the vehicle because they said he was noncompliant. It could be that the driver brought a gun and had one in the in the glove box. We we just don't know. Right. And what they'll do, Debbie, is and you've been involved in these before, too, is they will go to the officers and they will seize each of their weapons. They will take those weapons and sort of do a download. And from that, they can determine how many rounds were fired because they know how many rounds are in the gun when the officer started his or her duty. But like usually you would have like 14 rounds in your in your weapon. So they take the gun and it's got 12 rounds left. You can assume that that particular officer fired off two. I know it's not that easy, but that's what they're doing right now. They've seized every gun that they found there from all five officers. And like you say, from the suspect, if he had one, and they're going through mm-hmm. trying to determine which weapon was used and which weapons actually fired off a round or two. Are the officers required to speak to investigators about what happened? There, there's there's a thing called Garrity, which requires that they that they have to talk to the agency, and well, if they don't, then they can be terminated. But Garrity is is something that says that an officer, if they do talk, they are they say cannot be used against them in a criminal context because they're sort of forced to to give the statement. I know I haven't answered your question very well, but it's part of their job to give a statement. And if they say I'm not giving a statement, then they're terminated. They can't work. So they can they can sort of protect themselves a little bit by saying, I'll give a statement, but it can't be used against me in a potential criminal prosecution. So let's say that this is just a what if this is not justified, then how in the world explain to us how in the world prosecutors build a case if the officer's statements are protected? Um, they've got to do their own independent investigation. They've got to look at it like any other homicide case and, and look at the, the extrinsic evidence and not the officer's individual statement. Now, that doesn't mean that other officer's statements can't be used against a particular officer. So if Officer A isn't, isn't going to be charged, his or her statement could be used against Officer B, who, whose statements are protected, if that makes any sense. So the state could still build a case and decide how to prosecute the case. Um, it's, it's, it's just like any other in investigation where people may or may not give a statement to the police. Right. And But if they don't, they're not compelled to make a statement. But if they decide not to participate in the investigation by offering a statement, they could potentially be dismissed from the force. Exactly right. They could be, they could, because they're required to. Or their or their job could be at jeopardy, and they could say, well, "Well, then, if you're not going to cooperate in this investigation, you don't get to work here anymore." And our officers sometimes will make that decision if they think that they have some criminal culpability, and that's why we lawyers get called out for yeah. for these officers once in a while is to advise them of whether or not it's in their best interest to make a statement or not. Remind us quickly. Uh... When a police officer is authorized to pull a driver over, and then when they're authorized to use deadly force, they're they're authorized to use deadly force to the extent necessary to prevent another's use of deadly force against them or another person. So, if the officer felt that their particular life was in jeopardy or the life of another person, including the other officers, by the occupant of the vehicle, they're allowed to use deadly force it's it's what we call our self-defense statute or defense of others but they can only do that if they have a legitimate 
reasonable fear, and they're going to look at all the evidence and say, should, did that officer at that moment when he or she pulled the trigger have a fear in their heart yeah. that they needed to do that to save the life of another person or themselves? And, and Greg, uh, just give us a, a just a yes or no on this one. Is a no license plate a, a reasonable a reason to pull um, for a police officer to pull a driver over? It absolutely is. It doesn't happen a lot, but it's a perfectly acceptable reason. Yes. Greg Scordis, KSL Legal Analyst. Thank you. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.